TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host, Dammit. I, I mean, Matthew, Matthew Rushing. Sorry, Matthew. I'm just trying to learn your language there. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I see how it goes. Um. I'll I'll refrain from uh, returning in kind uh, with some some <laughs> languages of my own, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here, Chris. You know, um, it's uh, I do have to say though, I, is it getting hotter more quickly on this planet? Because it, it is, it, it feels like it's really heating up here. Uh, yeah. Hold on, I gotta I gotta take off the top of this uniform. <laughs> it is getting quite toasty, quite toasty, and you know. It seems like we're communicating pretty well, but I just want to check. Now, if you can understand anything that I'm saying to you, I want you to listen very, very closely. Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Well done, Chris. You remembered it all. I've been practicing for 49 years. (laughs) <laughs> wow. It's uh it is impressive. I think you've done a great job. Well, thank you. Yes, everyone, today we're going to talk about uh, a similar situation as we continue our 20th anniversary rewatch of Enterprise. This is episode 13, Dawn, and here is a quick rundown. By the late 22nd century, the nations of the Earth were finally at peace, working together to explore and colonize the distant reaches of space. Unfortunately, we weren't alone out there. A reptilian race of non-human aliens called the Arconians were claiming sectors of space as their own. When a human shuttle pod is attacked, its pilot and the alien attacker crash on a hot and deserted planet. Now marooned on a hostile world, they have a choice— They can end their missions in a mutual pact of violence and death, or they can do the most painful thing any human or Arconian has ever done, learn each other's language. Uh, Wait a minute, Matthew. I think think that's the wrong summary. That's the movie Enemy Mine, right? Uh, No, I I think that's actually the episode Darmok. I'm not... Oh, oh, we're doing Dar. I thought we were doing Dawn Mock today, which is what I normally call this episode. <laughs> it is. It does have a very similar setup to a lot of things that we've not only seen in Star Trek, but also you know just out there in general. And um, you know, I think this is another one of those places where they begin to kind of reach back a little bit into the well of of stories and yet i'm i'm interested as we talk through this one to just to see how how you feel because my own take is that this is another place where it all comes down to the the tropes that you use and how you use them in the story and and what you do with them and what it does for the characters and you know i i'm tend to think that this is another successful retroping 
if okay. if you can you know uh, if you want to put it like that so <laughs> yeah yeah for me it doesn't work quite as well it's an episode that i've warmed up to a bit over the years and i i really didn't care for it too much when it first aired because it just felt so repetitive to things we've seen before and at the time it aired we weren't that far removed from the end of voyager and there's also the episode gravity where Tom and Tuvok are trapped on a planet and they have to get help from an alien there so that they can be saved also. And so backtracking from that to the next generation with the enemy, with Geordi and the Romulan, and of course, Darmok, which I feel like this was most of all an attempt to recreate the magic of Darmok. And for me, this is very, very much Darmok light because this one, the puzzle is learning to communicate in two languages that while there are foreign languages for each of the characters, they are structured in a familiar way like any language on Earth and most alien languages that we encounter in Star Trek, whereas Darmok had that take of metaphors and right. a completely different way of communicating, which made it doubly or triply or whatever difficult for Picard to figure out how to communicate with Darmok. And so that's where I feel like this episode, if this if Darmok didn't exist, this episode would probably be a lot stronger for me than it is. Let's put it that way. I think and this is something that, uh, came to me as I was watching the episode that I think this is where I find it to be a decently successful episode in that this is about humans having a different interaction with a species that the Vulcans have already met and not right. had a great interaction with. Yeah, And I think that the reason that humanity has a slightly different interaction with this species is because we do speak more the same language mm -hmm. which is one in which we're not afraid to be combative we're not afraid to be devious when we need to be we're not afraid to have some of those darker sides to us to which this alien race actually understands but then that also means i think they have an understanding of what it means to have kindness, to have, you know, um, empathy or, you know, any of those type of things. And so when I think about it in those terms, that we're – the language that we're speaking of is is almost like the personality of a species. Mm -hmm. That's where I think that this is more successful than it – might feel if we just look at it at the surface level mm -hmm. because you know that becomes a big moment at the end where to Paul you know tells Archer you know what you've done here in one day what basically you and Trip have done here in one day has been astronomically better than anything the Vulcans had done an entire century with this race and mm -hmm. so I think that there's something really interesting about that um, and, it, and it continues to show the ways in which 
for all their supposed superiority, the the Vulcans actually have things to learn from us too. So yeah. I, I really like the way in which that all works in the episode. Mm. Well, that's a great point. And I think that's the best way to look at the episode because on the surface, as I described at the beginning, you naturally just compare it to other Star Trek stories. But the, what you bring up, and that's a point that we had later on the outline, just to mention what you said about Paul. but going deeper as you have here, to put the story within the context of the series and what's at the core of the series, which is the starting point for the Vulcans. And then we jump ahead a hundred years, you know, we don't get to see everything as it's developing, but then our starting point is Vulcans having to let humans leave the nest in a sense. Mm -hmm. And then we're exploring how does that relationship go from that point forward. So within that Mm -hmm. context, yeah, the situation of how does each species, humans or Vulcans, deal with the same alien race? And in a case where we really get to interact with them in a, a different way than, like, probably the one we've seen most up to this point would be Klingons, maybe, where the Vulcans already know the Klingons, very familiar with what they're like, have a relationship with them and then humans encounter them and have to start building that relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a, a much more familiar framing for us as Star Trek viewers. Whereas this one is an alien that we've never seen before, unless we watched the movie enemy mine, because the, the characters here look very, very similar to one another, but I don't think the Vulcans were involved in that movie. So they have not met them yet, but yeah, exploring this point is uh, it's something that I really haven't thought about too much when I watch this episode. And so I'm glad you brought it up because for anyone listening who naturally compares this episode to Darmok in particular, I think that's a whole new way into the story that can really change the way that you read it. Well, and I think one of the things that, makes this an interesting exercise, obviously, as we've been doing it, is we've been walking through every episode of Enterprise in sequence 20 years later. You know, there's something that time can do to which helps you see episodes differently and in a different light. And I think that this is definitely one of those, I believe, that benefits from that because, you know, I haven't seen those episodes that this one references. And so I can just kind of judge this one on its own. Well, you've and, seen them, but not recently. So you're Right, not exactly. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not fresh in my mind. I haven't, right. I honestly haven't seen the, the episodes that uh, this one is more similar to, especially TNG and Voyager in years. Yeah. So that has just been the case for me. So coming back to this one, it, it was an interesting story, and I, I think one of the things that makes this really interesting is that the this part of the season of season two, and actually mo- a lot of season two, has a lot of trip development. Like mm-hmm. it, 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 it does feel like the writers, and I, I, I wanted to ask you, do you feel like the writers here keyed into him as a character that people were liking, and that's why we 
continue to get a lot of stories that are in in all reality i mean very trip heavy yeah i think it could be some of that and i think it may also just be that the way that connor portrayed the character i think made the writers want to write for him they wanted to give him more things to do you see that often in mm-hmm. tv shows where a uh, an actor brings a character to life in a way that just energizes the writers. I mean, you saw that on DS9 mm-hmm. with Ducat, right? And the way that Mark Lama was playing Ducat. Originally, Ducat wasn't meant to be such a big part of the story, but they kept bringing him back and he became huge. The The whole Jadzia Wharf thing as well, right? That was something that was driven by the character, by the actor's portrayal and chemistry. And here I think that Connor has that with the character of Trip, his chemistry with the other characters mm-hmm. on the ship. And even when he's solo, there's something about the way that he brings that character to life that I think makes him a fan favorite. And I'm mm-hmm. sure there are some fans that maybe he's not among their favorite characters, but he's such a right. likable guy. It's kind of hard not to to like Trip and... So here, yeah, obviously in season two, they are giving him a lot of stuff to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we had we had harmonica already, and here we open with <laughs> a, a Tucker log, you know, so yeah. chief engineer's log supplemental right out of the gate. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I, I feel as though Enterprise leans on Tucker the way that DS9 leaned on Miles O'Brien. He's the everyman of the show. He's yeah. the one that we most relate to. He's just kind of like the guy that like you would go have a beer with, literally, you know? Yeah. And and so I think that's something that they they do lean into. And and I think what what works about it here is that, you know, uh, the relationship that develops between him and Czar, I think creates something interesting and kind of special because they're they're both equals they're they're both people who are kind of thinking similarly and yet trip is more willing to get to the place like can we just work together because that's kind of the that human trait coming Mm -hmm. through and i think that's that's the thing that the the weird juxtaposition and just mess of like human emotions and the way that we as humans deal with things. I think it seems to be slightly more similar to the way most of the alien species we meet kind of deal with things. And as opposed to the Vulcans with their intense logic. And so trip is, I think the amalgamation of all of that uh, in a way that, you know, even Archer isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or, you know, a read or, you know, anybody else on the show did trip is just kind of, and, and that's why we keep putting him in these situations. And what was interesting is, you know, when he's laying there talking about all the things that he has gotten to do, he's gotten to do so much on this show. You know mm-hmm. I mean? He's like, I even got pregnant once, you know, like <laughs> right. it's, it, there's, there's all of these things that he as a human 
person has experienced that no other human person has experienced before mm-hmm. and or that he's only shared with the humans on board Enterprise. And it's just, you know, it's kind of an amazing thing when he's just listing all of these things and you're you're left thinking to yourself, wow, this this is crazy just how much this character has gotten to experience. And, and that's mm-hmm. that actually lets you kind of think back like, wow, this show's only been going for a season and a half. And this character has already been through that many things. Yeah, that's because he had 26 episode seasons to start out, not 10. <laughs> so he got to experience so it much more. Help. It does yeah, help in that it way. Does. That's for sure. Yeah. But what you say about Trip is interesting because... Yeah, he is a lot like Miles. He's someone who, if you look at everyone on the ship, of course, he's very accomplished. His rank, he's a commander. And as we'll come to learn you know, later on, when we get a little bit of background behind the development of the Warp 5 program, you get a glimpse of how much he was involved and you know worked his way up to this point. But despite all of that... He feels mm-hmm. like the guy who's along for the ride compared with, say, Reed, who's so stiff with his family's you know, naval background. Archer, quite relaxed, but very much the captain. And Paul, of course, being the, the Vulcan. But with Tripp, it feels like he's along for the ride. See where they go. But he has these deep skills. And... Miles is a lot like that too, right? You know, Miles, he's not advanced in rank in terms of like being an enlisted officer, but experience wise, mm-hmm. he's right there with with any captain. And you get that from Trip. So uh yeah, that's a great way to think about Trip on the show. Yeah, I mean for for Enterprise as as a show as well, I think you know, you always cast people, and then as the seasons go on, you kind of see the range that they have. And I think one of the great things about Connor Trenier as an actor was just that he had a really incredible range. You could put him in an episode that was ridiculously silly, like Unexpected or Precious Cargo, and he can make it work. He sells mm-hmm. it. And then you can put him in an episode like this, where it's more action-packed and you're asking a lot of him in that way, he can do it. Then you you know, you know look forward and you think you put him in a really serious episode like Cogenitor, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he can fulfill all of those, which is, again, I think that's where, like, Colmini was the same way. You could put him in yeah. all these different types of episodes and he made all of them work. And, you know, so when you when you have that type of character on Star Trek, um, I think it's, it's the, the type of character that ends up with a lot of play. You know, um, I think that it's actually the reason and just to reference uh, Strange New Worlds, I actually think that that's the reason that Jess Bush uh, and her character of Chapel has ended up with so many uh, storylines in that first season. She's very much the same type of character. She's the every person, right? She's the one that, like, we all kind of relate to, Mm -hmm. just seems like kind of a normal person and can play all of those different things very well. And so 
Um, and you see it throughout all of the Star Trek shows, you know. Um, and so I, I think that's really it, it. You know, Connor was very blessed in the fact that they cast him and then, you know, they liked him and they then they just kept writing for him. Yeah. And, you know, it, of course, weaves into all the other stories that we get as well. But, um, yeah, I, I, it, it's it's fun watching the series and kind of watching that blossoming happen for him as a, as a character. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I've noticed that as we go along about just how much trip we've been getting recently. And again, it's something I don't really examine so much over the years watching, but as we do this week by week, it's really starting to stand out quite a lot. Another element of this episode that I like that I think fits in well with the context of the series is Archer's determination to make this work. You know, it feels like if T'Pol had been in command, do you think that they would have, well, how, how do you think they would have mounted a rescue of Trip mm -hmm. and would, would it have been a collaborative effort in the way that it was in, in building relations with an alien race, which is the stated uh, mission of Star Trek, of Starfleet, right? To seek out strange new worlds and, and alien life. And yet the Vulcans, because they just haven't gotten along with these Arconians in the past, shy away from interactions with them, I guess. Whereas Archer mm -hmm. has this human determination of trying to find common ground at least right. to work together in a situation where we need to work together. I mean, look at the world wars, you know, you've had here on earth, you've had world wars uh, with nations that are normally hostile with one another, uh, banding together to fight a greater threat because they felt it was something where they needed to work together in the moment. And, and that's not a comparison to what Archer needs to do here, but it is in the sense that, even if you're not getting along with somebody, maybe you do need to try to work together, which mm -hmm. is, I think, an important message in today's world. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really interested in this part of the episode. And, I mean, I, I feel as though that if there was any part of the episode that it would have been nice to just get a little bit more of would have been this part. And just because the Arconians here are, they they seem similar to us they're like a step between us and the Andorians, you know, where the Andorians are just mm -hmm. their emotion on, you know, times 10. Uh, the Arconians are somewhere kind of in the middle between humans and, and, the, and the Andorians. And so I feel as though, again, what happens with Archer's determination and his challenge of saying, look, hey, we didn't know this is your part of space and your people were chasing our guy and they both crashed. And, you know, I, I think what's interesting here, and this is where I just would have loved a little bit more with the Arconian commander. It's like, because there is this calculation that he's making that is it wise to make an enemy here that we don't need to make, but can we also still save face and, project strength and so and in, in many ways i think that's kind of the game that both he and archer are playing with each other a little bit which to me 
is a great part of the episode. It just there's it it's one of those places where you know you only have so many minutes of television at this point. I think it's like forty two. These episodes are yeah. So these are down to about forty two at this point. I think yeah, which is kind of ridiculous in the first place um, because there's so many commercials. But yeah. I I think to me there's a lot of interesting stuff in the episode. I think. It's not that this episode is derivative, really, or any of those type of things. What I think it really is, is this episode could have just used a little bit more time. And if it had had a little bit more time, we probably would have been able to dive in even deeper into these type of situations, which to me would have been super fascinating. Yeah, if they had had more time to work with and could have focused more on the interactions between Archer and Czar, the captain of the Mm. Arconian ship, that would probably have also alleviated the sense of this trying to recreate Darmok because so much time is spent on the Mm -hmm. planet between Trip and Zokan that that feels like the the primary plot of the story, right. which it would be quite interesting yeah. if it were flipped so that the primary plot of the story was two species meeting for the first time, both with emotions that come to the surface, both with mm-hmm. histories of being combative in a disagreement over space where the Arconians are saying, this is ours and you need to leave. And the humans are like, well, that's fine, we'll go, but we got to get our guy back, you know. So if, right. if that were the focus more of it, um, yeah, it could have, the, the episode could have had a completely different tone. And just giving them even five more minutes of screen time might have made a difference. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which would still be shorter than most yep. of the episodes we get these days. Yes, yeah. I, I think that's just where... Um, you you kind of see the limitations of of storytelling and television at this point. You know, it's interesting because my my wife and I have been rewatching Yellowstone. She's never seen it, so mm-hmm. we've been digging into that. And you know, we'll have the the new season of that coming out here later in the fall. And and so one of the things you I noticed about that show is that even though they're on television, like it's on Paramount Network. They're not afraid to just have episodes be the length that they need those episodes to be. So there are some of the episodes that are shorter. They're like 39 minutes. And there are some of the episodes that are an hour, like an actual hour. Mm-hmm. You know, And so it's really just incumbent on, on what it is they want and need to do in that episode, which I just think is so great. And it, it's just, I, I think it's smarter because in reality... That's how storytelling is, right? You you know, mm-hmm. and and so then you either get episodes where you're padding for time, or you get episodes yeah. where it could just use more time, and there's not enough time, and it's not really enough to make it a two parter. So you know, you just kind of end up in these conundrums. And so, mm-hmm. uh, to me, this is absolutely an episode where, yeah, you're right. I mean, even just five minutes, you you could have added to that part of the story with Archer. And to Paul, and it would have, I think, made the episode even better. Yeah. it's American TV is very interesting because I'm thinking now I was having a conversation a week or so ago with a friend from the UK, and we were talking about soccer, 
and we were thinking about the World Cup back in, was it 96? Is that when the World Cup was in the US? And I think so. But the difficulties of broadcasting soccer on television in the US, because American sports, and especially you and I are big football fans, American football, that sport is completely driven by television advertising. Think about how many times teams lose momentum in a drive because there needs to be a TV timeout, right? And it's the same with dramatic storytelling, right? Like traditionally, thankfully, this is something that the streaming model is changing, which is great. But in traditional storytelling on television in the US, everything's driven by advertising. And so you get these odd uh, splits, you get episodes that are too short or too long, as you're describing. Mm -hmm. It's interesting when I'm watching American TV shows from, especially like these from the 2000s or the 90s or earlier with friends in Japan, where you explain why it suddenly fades to black and it comes back. It's like, that's where the commercials go because that's not how advertising works here on television. And so... Uh, yeah, it's it's. I, I never thought about it until we're talking right now that both dramatic storytelling and sports are governed by the same framework in the U.S. Yeah, and in all honesty, this is not a sports ball podcast, but that's why I think soccer is a superior sport to watch because you get to watch two halves of the game without any interruption, mm-hmm. and it's great, you know. Um, whereas I'm, I was. Uh, watching some American football the other day because it has begun here. And I was just so annoyed that every three seconds there's a commercial break. It's like watching Hulu with the ads. It it just drives you crazy. So I love it when someone scores a touchdown and then they go to commercial and you get like four or five commercials and then they come back and they kick the ball off and then they call a fair (laughs) catch and then they go to commercial again before they start the next drive. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh, can you imagine Classic. if a Star Trek episode was like that? You know, like uh, like Trip <laughs> crashes on the planet and they go to commercial. They come back and he sees the alien and they each say one thing to each other and they don't understand. And then they go to commercial again. Yep. <laughs> hmm. Good times. <laughs> all right. Um, okay. Well, these are all the key points I have for this episode. Um, if you don't have any more, let's just go into final thoughts and ratings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think rewatching this episode, even just the things we talked about, I think it's a really solid episode. I do think there's definitely ways to improve it. And some of those I don't necessarily know are the episode's fault, right? Um, and so I will give this 3.75 out of 5 broken transmitters uh, wow. because I I think it's not, it really isn't, it's not quite a 4 you know, because I, to me that that's just a really, really solid episode, but this is almost there. And, and so, and, and I think it, it, it should be given more credit than many fans have probably done uh, mm-hmm. since it's come out because it is a, it's better than average. That's for sure. Uh, but it's just not quite there to get it over the hump to be like one of the best episodes of enterprise. But you know, I season two, has had a lot of solid episodes so far. So yeah, and this is another one for me. And I think for you too, because you love Trip so much, that really helps. It's like when we talked about Vanishing Point 
And you were curious, oh, yeah. like, why is Vanishing Point one of my favorite episodes? It's because I love Hoshi, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, a Hoshi-centric absolutely. episode. Yeah. And so I probably warm up to the story more because of who the lead character is than mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I might no, otherwise. 100%. Yeah, yeah, 100%. All right. Well, I don't have much to add to this. I've shared pretty much all my thoughts on it, other than I'll say that I love the points that you made today, and I hope that listeners will rewatch the episode with that in mind about the uh, interactions between humans and Arconians and the different approach that humans take versus Vulcans to an alien race and push the language part of it to the side a little bit, which I rarely say about an episode because being someone with a degree in language, I love the language aspects of Star Trek and especially Enterprise. But in this case, I think that it might actually cause you to miss the highlights of the story. So watch it with that in mind. And I'm going to give this one six familiar situations. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, everyone, we would love to hear your thoughts on Dawn. There are many ways for you to share those with us. Perhaps the best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That is our listeners group. It's a closed group. So if you're joining for the first time, please do answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. Let us know that you heard about it on Warp 5. And to find it, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field or the whole name. It should come up. Once you're in, you'll see a post for this episode in the timeline, and you can share your comments with Matthew and me and fellow listeners right there. If you'd like to send us email, just go to our website, trek.fm slash contact, use the form you find there, choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to us by email. And in social media, you can find us everywhere under the username trekfm. And if your podcast app of choice allows you to leave a rating or a review, we'd love to get that from you as well. Now, Matthew, when you're not vomiting on things to see if they'll fix themselves, where can people find you? Well, oh, goodness. Uh, Hopefully, I'm not doing that in public. Anyway, uh, you (laughs) can find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02, where you'll find, uh, I guess, uh, verbal vomit uh, of uh, an interesting... (laughs) sort. Uh, you can also uh, find me here on the network. We've got a whole other side of the network that we don't talk Star Trek. We talk about every other fandom that we love, and that's the 602 Club, so I hope you'll check that out. It is a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, we're almost uh, at 400 episodes there, so that's great. Uh, you can also find me here on the network with a bunch of other shows. One is Literary Treks, about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Chris, you and I also dive into the orb with Star Trek Deep Space Nine, we're also into some strange new worlds with, uh, you know, a show called Saddle Up, which we always saddle up for. And then you can also find us on the Artificial Tango where we don't dance, uh, but we do talk about <laughs> Star Trek Picard. And actually, you know, guys, we got some fun things in the works as well. Um, Chris and I are looking forward to like maybe talking through, I don't know, uh, the... Star Trek movies, now that they're all coming out on 4K, uh, so that should be fun. Um, Anyway, and then you can also find me over on the Nerd Pretty Network. I've got a completed show I did with Drea Kaufman called Owlpost. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then the great John Mills and I talk about Star Wars on aggressive negotiations. Uh, But Chris, uh, when you're not trying to figure out how to get that log to work and to record your thoughts, where can people find you? 
Well, you can find me organizing bands. I'm always putting bands together. And just in the closing here, Matthew, I've got two great band names out of this. One, Better Than Average, and the <laughs> other, Verbal Vomit. And uh, you can guess which one is a heavy metal band and uh, which one is probably <laughs> like a 90s emo alt band. <laughs> So watch for our new albums. They're coming soon. And uh, once I get that all settled, you can find me elsewhere on the network doing the shows that you mentioned that we do together. Plus Larry Nemechek and I do The Ready Room. And you can also find me in many episodes in the back catalog. And you can find me in social media under the username C. Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. I'd love to chat with you there about Star Trek or college football or band names or, or whatever Hit me up there. Love to hear from you. And if you would like to help us keep this show and everything that we're doing going, we could definitely use your help to find out how to get involved in the network and help us out. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. I'd like to send a huge thank you to everyone who's supporting us right now because we wouldn't be here without you. And if you're not, I hope that you will decide to do so. Every little bit helps and we really appreciate everyone. Well, Matthew... Next time, our topic might be a little bit difficult to talk about, you know, because of the stigma of it all. But I think that we will enjoy chatting about that together anyway. Well, Chris, I'm a little trepidatious, but let's go. 